I was usually a good boy. It was drummed into me as a child, obey the rules, respect authority. It sounds good, and I guess it was, although the way I learned it was through threats and punishments, and there must be a better way of getting to the same destination than on the bus of fear. So while my friends at school were always getting into trouble and receiving detentions, I was not. In fact, the only time I was punished at school was for laughing. There are, of course, many different kinds of laughter. There's the uncontrollable kind that overwhelms you and leaves you powerless so that you can't breathe and you fall over and beg God to intervene because you think you're going to die. That, they say, is the most authentic form of laughter. Then there's the giggling of children. And when you hear it, you must join in. You can't help it. Surely the most beautiful sight in the world is a baby laughing. Then there's the polite society kind of laughing. It is performed, and I mean performed, by all of us when we are trying to communicate to others that we are kind and nice and in no way a threat. Then there's the nervous laugh, the one you make when you don't really know what you're doing and you're feeling a bit foolish. Well, it was that first one that got me into trouble in an English class. The teacher was talking about something extremely dull, which no teenage boy ever wants to talk about. I think it was Jane Austen. Uh, by the way, that's the definition of cruel and unusual punishment, making adolescent males read Jane Austen. So this class in my all-boys school were sitting there, bored out of our minds. Seriously, I can't tell you how mind-numbingly awful it was. And then I heard, through my drowsy haze, the master utter my name. Uh, master is the word we used for teachers in my school. Johnston, what happened next? Well, I didn't know what happened next. I mean, it's not like I'd read the book or anything. Now, rather than pretending to be listening and guessing at something vaguely related to the world of Jane Austen, like, does Emma invite the vicar to have some tea and crumpets, sir? I chose to be honest. And so I said, I'm sorry, sir, I haven't the foggiest. And that was the moment when the first kind of laughter, the tsunami kind, devastated the entire class. Every boy was lying on his desk in agony, trying to breathe, because the master's name was Mr. Fogg. And he thought I was making fun of him. So there was a class of 20 boys, unable to breathe, and me trying to explain to Mr. Fogg that this was an innocent mistake and I wasn't making fun of his distinguished name. And this is the kind of school where you don't argue with the masters. 
You just obediently go and lick the playground clean or whatever twisted punishment they impose. Getting into trouble for laughing. Sarah knows all about that. It's week two of our summer sermon series, From Eden to Egypt. Last week, we read the first chapter of Genesis, the creation of humankind in the likeness of God. Well, time has hurried on. Mum and Dad have disobeyed and been evicted from the garden. Many generations have passed, but the collective memory of Eden lives on strongly in the minds of all people. The hunger for Eden still causes us despair and hope. It prompts in us obedience to God and rebellion against him. It lies behind all we think and do and say. We can't shake from us the yearning for that garden, for transcendence, for meaning, fulfillment and union with God. This morning... We are sitting in a tent with some nomads. Abraham and Sarah are their names. They are both very senior citizens. One of the joys of this spring has been to, uh, to drive by in two birthday parties for members of St. Paul's who are nonagenarians. And Abraham and Sarah are up there with them. And on this day, when we meet them for the first time, they are entertaining three guests. Strangers and travellers who drop in, and as is the custom of ancient nomadic peoples, are treated to the most lavish and costly hospitality. Animals are killed, fires are lit, feet are washed, Drink is poured, and Abraham sits with their guests outside the tent in respectful conversation. But there's something not normal about these visitors. They are kind of otherworldly, supernatural. One of them, in particular, starts saying some wild, impossible things I shall surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall bear a son. Now Sarah is listening inside the tent. She laughs to herself and says, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you, and Sarah shall have a son. Oh yes, Sarah, laughter can get you into trouble. Stand with her at the entrance to the tent and hear her chuckles. These are not the out-of-control belly laughs of my English class, nor the embarrassed, self-conscious snickers when you don't know how to act. This is an altogether more painful kind of laugh. It's a cynical laugh, a sceptical laugh. 
the laugh when there's nothing to laugh about. This is the laugh of someone who has been disappointed in life, brutally disappointed, and she's feeling it. Sarah has never been able to have children, and it hurts. And now, here is some stranger telling her husband that she is going to have a baby. Yeah, right, likely story. Ha! You know that kind of laugh, don't you? Of all the different types of laugh, it's the meanest. This laugh is born in deep hurt, and it causes deep hurt. It's the laugh of broken dreams, shattered promises, destroyed faith and hope. It's the laugh of a person who has survived a devastating betrayal and is invited to trust again. It's the laugh of the person who has come through a humiliating divorce and then someone asks them on a date. This is the laugh of the worker who was let go for the umpteenth time, the lover jilted one more time, the person who has ever looked for someone for love and been rejected one more time. Sarah laughed. I have laughed this laugh, and maybe you have too. You want to believe, but your trust has been destroyed. You want to risk again, but the pain is too great. You have been told that God has a plan for you, that fulfillment, love and contentment are the features of that plan, but all you can see is the failure of the past. All you can feel is the scar on your soul. Sarah laughed, and so have we. I have to admit... I'm a bit of a sucker for those articles on the internet that promise to give you simple answers to complex problems. Uh, you know the kind. Five habits that will turn you into a winner. Seven things to say at work if you want to succeed. The 78 golden rules to being happy. One surefire way to mess up your life. I made those up. Clickbait, they are called. And actually, when the author is an expert and the site is reliable, these articles can be helpful. So, when I was preparing this sermon, it crossed my mind to go to the internet and Google how to trust again, and what to do with your disappointments, and how to let go of your failures so you can embrace the life that God has promised you. And then I got back to the passage from Genesis. Because usually in Scripture, there are no lists of things you must do if you are going to experience God in your life. There are no spiritual laws that we must apply if we want to live great. The Bible is not a psychology textbook. What it is, is a revelation of God's never-ending, all-consuming, overwhelming love. God's eternal, incomprehensible, undeserved grace and acceptance of you and me. 
What the Bible gives us is not pop psychology, but a God who takes the initiative, who gives and loves and blesses despite all the reasons why he should not. Sarah laughed her cynical laugh, and so do we. Yeah, yeah, right. God's going to bless me. Ha! Hear the word of the Lord. Sarah did nothing. Nothing that made the promise come true. God had a plan. The plan was to to create a people from Abraham and Sarah, a people that would grow and become a blessing to the world. Sarah doubted. Sarah laughed. But that didn't matter. The divine stranger did return. Sarah did become pregnant. And she did give birth to a boy. She named him Laughter. Because that is what Isaac means. And now... Every time she called his name, she would remember. Not her disappointment, not the pains, not the ways in which God or other people had let her down, but the radical and beautiful opposite. Every time she uttered the name Isaac, she'd remember the grace and gift of God, that despite her cynicism, he still showed up. Despite her scepticism, God still kept his promise. Her laugh was turned from a cynical one to a belly one. Galind and I went down the shore on Friday. It was blissful. The weather was perfect. The mood was carefree. The promise of summer was etched in every grain of sand and on every giggling child. This spring, there is hope in the air. Can you feel it? 400 years is a long time. It's an eternity to be carrying sin. 400 years contains an unbearable weight of guilt, an unspeakable suffering of crushing disappointment. I am still a new citizen, less than two years, I've only been in the country 17. I have massive holes in my understanding of the American story. But this spring, I think God is at work. I think I see his likeness in the earnest faces of peaceful young protesters. I think I've caught a glimpse of his heart in the gracious words of African-American spokespeople who have helped me understand their painful 400-year story. And I think I can sense the irresistible force of the Holy Spirit touching white people, both left and right, conservative and liberal, and congressional leaders in both parties who are saying, thank you for helping us understand your story. We are starting to get it, and we want to help. And so, for we Christians, and for all people of goodwill, we pray and we work We have heard God's promise to us, life in all its fullness, and we know it is true. And so we want to make the promise true for others. 
We are bearers of promise and the bringers of good news. If that doesn't make you laugh, nothing will. Amen.